On today's episode of Conversations, I have Jennifer Matus join me as we dive into student emotional health. She joins this episode and the work each day with a bachelor's in psychology and a master's in social work. Jennifer is a Texas certified school counselor and Texas licensed master social worker and also a nurtured heart approach certified trainer. As you can see, she comes with a background perfect for this content. Before becoming a counselor, she was an elementary first grade teacher and is passionate about supporting emotional health in students and the surrounding community. We're going to dive into pertinent conversations around how to incorporate emotional learning with specific methods, how to be a caring adult in a child's life, trends that she's seeing during this pandemic in connection to student mental health, and tangible ways to help kids while they process this ongoing pandemic. Take a listen now. Hi, Jennifer. How are you? Good morning, Monica. I'm doing great. How are you? I am so good. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast this morning. Me as well. Can you hear me okay? I can. I can hear you. And for our listeners, we're obviously still all in a pandemic, so we are recording on cell phones. So bear with us as we navigate any connection issues. Hopefully we won't have any because we have a pretty strong connection here. I'm, I was just thinking I had... Kayla, who works with you in the same department on the podcast, and I was looking to see when she was on. It was sometime last year. Right. I did. I was able to find hers, and I listened to her amazing podcast. Um, You know, she did a great job talking about uh, the pandemic and, you know, helping people cope. Maybe that's why I blocked it out, because it was like right after the pandemic hit. (laughs) Well, I'm so excited. Today's theme is going to be the emotional health of students, but we'll go ahead and get started with our usual podcast episode structure. So if you'll just share one celebration from the school district we work in, Klein ISD, in connection to teaching and learning. Absolutely. Um, You know, I feel so privileged to work for such an amazing school district. I really feel, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, we have support from the top down, from Dr. McGowan down to our campus administration, our teachers. But something I am so excited about with the support is how much enthusiasm and investment we're seeing to supporting students, social emotional learning and mental health and well-being on campuses pre-K through 12. You know, I feel like um, there has been so much that has gone on that our that our students have faced and finding that support each and every day they walk into our, you know, campus classrooms is just amazing. And I think this focus has always been important, but it's you know, really has more of a heightened meaning now in light of everything our world, you know, has gone through and endured over this past year. And I think it's going to continue to be important. And I'm hopeful, you know, as we work together to heal and move forward as a community. So I just feel so fortunate that our district um, has placed such an emphasis on caring for the whole child. Yeah, I I feel like organically in the last few years, even pre-pandemic, there was this heightened focus on relationship building and what incredible timing, obviously everything happens for a reason, Right. that, that focus before the pandemic so that it wasn't something that people were like, wait a second, we're not focusing on relationships, now we have to, you know, so I feel like that's a really good organic transition into um, what's been happening since the pandemic started, which is a, a hyper focus on mental health and just, it's so timely and I, I vote that it doesn't ever go away, that there's a focus <laughs> in education. Um, Okay, so let's get started. So you've been a school counselor for 13 years, as our listeners just heard on a a mini bio of you. And I know you've seen the importance of incorporating and embedding relational practices into learning environments. So talk to us about the ways 
that teachers and administrators can do this without making it a separate, like, now we're going to do a mental health chapter. Like, how do they embed it within their learning environment? That's a really great question, Monica. And it's it's something I'm really passionate about. I think, you know, our educators in Klein do understand and see and work hard every day to build relationships with our students. I think really to keep it from feeling like something separate, building relationships starts as easy with just going into every student interaction with that state of mind, that you're gonna look at every opportunity to work with a student, discuss, you know, um, topics with students in your teaching, but to look at it as a relationship building opportunity. You know, even if you only have a few short minutes that you're, you know, greeting students as they come in the door, passing them in the hallway, you know, it's about taking that time and making that two minute conversation with them the best part about their day. You know, even if you're talking about something difficult, you can fill a student up to where they walk away with direction and solutions and, you know, feeling so supported just by interacting with you. So I really feel like it starts with things as simple as that. You know, one of my favorite um, activities to do um, with students to intentionally do this is a practice called two for 10. I don't know if you've heard of this, Um, but it's really where you talk to students for just a couple of minutes a day for about 10 days straight. So maybe you pick a couple of students to to start with, and this can be done at any point of the year. But basically during that conversation, you're talking about anything other than academics in school. So you're getting to know about their families, their interests outside of school. Um, You're getting to know um, how they spend their free time. And this really goes so far in creating that foundation for those genuine trusting relationships to take place. And as we all have, you know, read research and, and understand when those relationships are there, that's when the deeper learning and those genuine social interactions can happen within the classroom. So I think it really starts there. Um, but then one of my other, um, you know, thoughts is always around how can we repurpose the time we already have? Time is precious in education, you know, and we're working so diligently to make sure our students are equipped with the knowledge and skills and everything that they need to be successful in life. But I think, you know, as educators, we know there are pockets of time that maybe we can look to repurpose. So maybe it's the beginning or the end of that class period when you're transitioning, everybody's coming in and getting settled, or everybody's kind of packing up and getting ready to go or, you know, switch and um, maybe taking some time to put up an intentional relationship building question, set a timer for two minutes, but have students turn and talk and share but what that's doing is, is setting the tone, either setting the tone for starting that class or setting the tone for sending them on their way. And I really think that when consistent relationship building efforts like that are embedded into the natural part of the school day, they have far more reaching impact, say, than like you were saying, like, okay, it is the day of the nine weeks that we are going to do our mental health lesson, you know? And so I think when students know that they can expect it, they can predict it, they can count on it, they are really going to become connected and involved in You know, when I talk to students, some of the classes that they've enjoyed the most and feel they've learned the most from are the ones that they feel the most connected in. And so building relationships is is something that, you know, I really feel just has to become kind of our natural state of being. It's just kind of what we do. Um, But I think this is this is the key to doing it. So, um, you know, I'm always excited whenever I get the opportunity to interact with kids this way. Like the 
easy, realistic ways to do this. It's not like you're saying, and you got to build this huge character program and do all the things. I mean, the two for 10 is, is such a realistic way to do it. Like just for two minutes a day, try to connect. And honestly, like standing at the door, I think people kind of roll their eyes now at this point. People are like, just stand at the door and talk. Yeah. But that was like really the highlight of my relationships because you do when you when the bell rings, you do have to get in there and get started. And, and in my case, I was secondary. Mm-hmm. But like, honestly, the kids would start to congregate out my door when they came in. I'm like, oh, hey, girl, so you got your hair done. Right. Or like, <laughs> you know, that's a good time to have those conversations of like, why, why do you look sad? Tell me, you know, and they just got out of a hard conversation with a significant other or whatever. So I think right. the two minutes can even be pre-class time if that stresses some teachers out right. that have like really tight scope and sequence or sure. have a lot to cover. And I just, I like the whole trend of, of your answer to that question as it being natural. Like it doesn't need to be like the script where you feel like, you know, you have Mm -hmm. to go out of your way. It really can be a natural transition as they're moving to go pick up something in front of the classroom. Like you can have a little like, Hey, mom, or like, Hey, we missed you yesterday when you weren't here. Right. Or what. And, And I think too, the community circle format that you were talking about doesn't have to just be for elementary, like that right. can be used with teenagers too. And although some might think things are cheesy and the end, they're going to appreciate the intentional effort to build community in the classroom, which is also one of our strategic priorities. So absolutely. And I love the community circle process. You know, we are so fortunate to have campuses who are embedding community circles as part of their natural school day. Um, you know, and these can be done within 15 minutes. It really can be structured as such to where you're not, taking away from that all important time, because as you said, people are following tight scopes and sequences. You know, the academics are of course super important, but what community circles also do um, is give students a voice. Everyone has an opportunity to be heard. It's full of respect. And it's just a a different way of having conversations. And those conversations can be academic in nature. Maybe you're processing, you know, um, just the focus for the lesson that day. It can be a social emotional learning topic. It can really take on many forms, but it's just that way of interacting that promotes respect and equity and, you know, voice. And um, so we are fortunate. So many of our campuses are embedding these processes and practices into their school day. But I think it's about helping teachers to find what works for them, to help campuses find what fits their vision and goals. And so that's what we're working really hard to do um, because there, there is no one way to do it. Like you said, it's not a script. It's not a, you know, it has to happen organically, but we're, you know, we're here to help and provide structure and support where needed and, you know, just kind of be that resource for schools as they're looking to do this. So I'm very excited about the presence of community circles in our district. Yeah, I am too. It's it's definitely and honestly, like these are just best practices and relationships in general. Right. Like there's such a, a big movement towards, you know, having check-ins and checkouts and adult meetings and right. and conversations. And it's just interesting to me that this can be a question at the beginning of the meeting that's something around like, all right, what was your favorite vacation? Right. And and, and, and the whole purpose of it is to give everybody a voice. So like, why wouldn't we extend that same concept to the kids that we teach and see every day? Right. Because to me, it's just like, it's human factor. Like everyone wants a voice. Everybody wants to be heard. Everybody wants to be validated. And um, I don't know. I just, I love the whole idea of it. And, and 
when you and I were talking about your biography for the podcast, mm-hmm. you stated students needed five caring adults in addition to the support they receive at home. And I'm not sure like where you got that statistic from, but if you'll talk about the importance this impact has on child development and why it's vital to student success and maybe where did you get that statistic from? Yes. And so um, there are definitely, this is a concept that I've heard about throughout my counseling career. Um, and there are many different reputable sites, you know, that you can look for to, to, to research. I was, you know, reading over some articles again last night and it's just, you know, different research journals. And I'd say it's, you know, been over the last 10 or 15 years that this, this idea has really come to hold such importance, but it's really about extending the support network for kids. And, you know, does it have to be specific, specific five? No, not necessarily. I mean, three to five, you know, but it's just about extending, you know, from the support kids do receive at home with their their parents, but extending that beyond, you know, um, their houses. And it can happen in places such as school. Teachers can be one of those people. Um, It could be other extended family members or leaders of activities your children, you know, are involved with, mentors, coaches. But it's just about having people that when our kids are facing challenges as they grow up, they have multiple avenues to turn to for support. You know, our kids have been through so much emotionally, um, so have we, you know, over the last year that, um, you know, what determines whether or not a student experiences a traumatic event. And a lot of research has gone into trauma and overcoming trauma and coping with trauma. And one of the you know, key determining factors is what support systems are in place for that child. Um, You know, do they have a network that they can turn to? Because a lot of times then they can, you know, find the support, the reassurance, the compassion. They can be, you know, encouraged to use resiliency skills um, to kind of work through that situation. Versus unfortunately, if a student, you know, if there isn't quite as strong a support network, it could possibly turn into more of a toxic stress, traumatic event situation, which can have long-term physical and psychological effects. So really supporting our students through um, trauma and taking care of their emotional health, extending their social network and, you know, of mentors and caring adults that they can turn to, that they have meaningful relationships with, will only strengthen um, the support they receive as they grow up. So I can't say enough how critical our educators, our counselors, our teachers are in this. And I know, you know, for, for all of us, that's really why we're here. We're here to help deposit into the lives of our children academically, socially, emotionally. And, um, you know, I just, I, I really feel strongly about this and I've seen the power of this at work. So um, that's, that's why I love, you know, helping children find those connections. Yeah. And I think, gosh, I wish I would have read more as an educator, like in the classroom about trauma and how it affects. I was having all these conversations and they rain and, you know, teenagers are obviously a little more vocal. I don't know, maybe I wouldn't say more vocal than children, but like they are able to process things a little bit more. And I heard everything from, you know, stories from sexual assault to parent abuse. I mean, the whole gamut of it. And I don't know if I was necessarily equipped out of college to deal with that. As a 22 year old, I just was like, you know, let me connect you with a counselor. Let me connect you with this. But then also how I process that information. And I think that's really important for teachers that if that's not something that you feel equipped with right now, 
then I urge you to go and read about the tools. And I, I can, I can put some books in the show notes as even right now. Like mm-hmm. I feel like I'm maybe more into the brain research behind the behavior as a parent right. and like looking into it. everyone needs to become brain research experts, but I sure, I sure do think this information would have been more helpful in me analyzing the behaviors in my classroom. And Luckily for me, my classroom management wasn't usually a challenge, but there were times where teenagers did something that now that I know more on the brain research side that I'm like, okay, they're not that much different than kids because their brains aren't still, they're still not fully developed in decision-making, et cetera. And so I don't know, I just feel like it maybe, you know, college programs have come further than they were, you know, what, 13 years ago, but, and, and, and mine was still great. I just think that if that's something that you do carry with you, the stories that can become heavy, you know, the struggles that your kids have, because that is, that is a side effect. I mean, the more deep, the deeper you are in the relationship connecting with your students, the more you could and will carry it home. And you have to have a way to be able to process that or it can become heavy and then it can lead to burnout. So I just want to encourage anyone listening who already has those strong relationships and as one of those five adults for their kids, just make sure that you also take care of yourself and the mental health of being someone who's in a relational position, especially when it comes to children and teenagers. So absolutely, as we move into being those caring adults and, you know, you're at the district level in the counseling department for those that are listening, what trends are, are you seeing as a district level counselor? for mental health and students this year in regards to the pandemic? And what are some of the ways your department is tackling those challenges? Well, you know, Monica, that is a really great question. And I think, you know, it is an ever-changing answer. Um, I think, you know, just naturally we are seeing an increase in the mental health needs of our students across the country. And Klein ISD is not without those similar needs. And so we are really committed as as a counseling department in working with our district leadership and campus leadership to meeting those needs in a really proactive, responsive, and compassionate manner. Um, And so we, our counseling department has worked, um, I know, specifically to provide ongoing relevant professional development this year with our school counselors during their monthly meetings to address um, topics that they're seeing on their campuses related to um, supporting students and families through trauma, um, you know, coping with um, stress, depression, anxiety, you know, um, different topics that, you know, we are hearing are of utmost importance to, you know, help our children and equip them with the skills that they need and to help families find the support that they need, you know, um, if they have concerns about this, you know, with, you know, things they're seeing with their child. Um, Also, our school counselors have really made themselves available. Um, Many have developed virtual counseling offices to ensure that we're meeting the needs of both our client on campus and our client online learners. It's about being accessible It's about being, um, you know, if someone clicks on a counseling website to be able to say, you know, request to see your counselor here. And, you know, our counselors have really made it easy for our students and families to access those support services that they need. Um, I also think as a district, as I mentioned in the beginning, we are so fortunate. We have really developed and provided proactive social emotional learning lessons and activities for our students and our staff 
that will help build resiliency skills and strengthen relationships between students and teachers. You know, we're learning that it's that, yes, we definitely need to support our students, but we're also making it a priority to support our staff because um, they're, they're there every day, you know, working directly with our students, talking with parents and families. And, um, you know, it's about supporting our staff, our teachers, ad administrators, counselors, so that they can be those caring adults um, present and ready in the moment to help, you know, anyone that needs it. But finally, I think that, you know, our counselors are there. They are there. They are, they are available. They are waiting to help in terms of supporting students and families with any mental health needs that arise. So I really encourage that if a parent is concerned about any different types of changes in their child's behavior or emotional responses and they're not sure where to turn, contact your campus counselor because they can be a great resource for figuring out next steps, connecting with resources in the community, and, um, you know, I really feel that um, we have such an empathetic and caring staff that are ready to meet the needs of, you know, any student um, that should need their help. So I just feel so, I'm so honored and proud to work with such an amazing team and um, just and just so grateful for all their help and support they give students every day. I agree. And I think, you know, being an education, because there is a focus on mental health, I think for the non-educators listening to the podcast or anybody that isn't an actual teacher or student in an educational system, I think just like reaching out to a counselor, period, if you are struggling with these trends that we're seeing in this pandemic that's still ongoing. I was listening to a podcast the other day and um, they had a sponsor. I think it's called Better Health. Regardless, it's this incredible mm -hmm. app that had all these counselors and it was, it was really cool listening to the commercial. They've got like financial aid if you can't afford it and you don't need to use insurance and there's this e easy billing. It's just incredible in 2021, the amount of counseling services we have at our fingertips. So if you are not an educator, we still encourage you reach out, get resources to help you cope with the mental health challenges that come with a pandemic. And I would say moving into our last part of uh, the, the, content of this podcast like what would you say is the best advice to helping kids and that can be K through 12 cope during a pandemic because unfortunately and I'm a huge advocate for this like we are not through this yet and so we can't forget right. about the mental health state that of the people that we work with and the kids we work with each day so what would you say is the best advice to helping well excellent and and I think there are several things that we can do it's kind of a multi-layered approach and a lot of information that I found you know specifically came from the National Association for School Psychology website they have excellent tips on how to help children cope in many different situations but especially through the pandemic and I think one of the first and foremost things we have to remember is we are models for our kids you know as adults um, our kids look to us for how we're reacting in challenging and stressful situations. And oftentimes they're going to base their responses on what we say and do, you know, toddlers, especially thinking about kids in their, you know, super young formative years, they start crying and they kind of look to, you know, to mom or dad and, and just kind of go, okay, are we being upset right now or are we not? And, you know, so I think as adults, we have to strive that, you know, are we, you know, modeling for our students? Are we handling this with positivity or negativity? And, you know, most of us certainly strive to, to be positive and proactive. Um, and 
I don't want people to misunderstand what it means to be positive. I think one of my favorite explanations of what it means to live with positivity is that, you know, staying positive doesn't mean you have to be happy all of the time. It means that even on hard days, you have hope and you know better ones are coming. And so as adults, we can model for our children on hard days what it means to face those challenges with flexibility and compassion, with optimism and grit and just that never give up attitude. And so I definitely think we have to just kind of remember that no matter how old our students are, our children, they're watching and they're gauging um, their responses off of us. But in that same sense, I think we have to be available to talk to our kids. You know, being open and vulnerable to share our own thoughts and feelings with them um, will kind of open the door for them to realize it's okay for them to talk about what they're thinking and feeling. And I think this is when we really can get an insight, um, you know, to help any answer any questions they're having or correct some misinformation if they've heard something incorrectly. But basically, it's really having those conversations that will provide the emotional emotional support that our, that our children need. Um, one of the other key things that I think are really, um, you know, that's very important during this is also to monitor information exposure. Our kids have access to information at their fingertips and um, we need to just be careful, you know, and, and really help monitor their access to the news, internet, and social media. You know, definitely it's important to be honest and accurate and clear with our children if they have questions, um, you know, but I think in providing answers, we have to consider their age, their developmental stage, um, and just make sure that they're not being exposed to information that may be too emotionally advanced for them. Because a lot of times this can cause increased levels of fear and anxiety. So I think it's just about monitoring and having open and honest conversations that are appropriate for, you know, their age, um, you know, and stage in life. I also feel like in, you know, in, like I said, it's, it's a multi-layered approach here, but we need to keep our kids connected as much as we can to bring some routine and normalcy to their lives. It may look different than it has in the past, but I think keeping conversations and connections going with extended family, with, you know, different activity groups that they may be part of with, you know, if you belong to a church or if you have, um, you know, different organizations that you, you know, would, you know, volunteer for. I think it's important to keep those lines of communication open. Um, you know, if you and your child can work on a service project together at home for your favorite charity and then donate it, that's a way for them to feel proactive and to feel like they're doing something to help their community. You know, a lot of times whenever people feel out of control, if they can figure out what they can control and can proactively do something, it helps bring a sense of calmness um, to the situation. But I feel like, you know, even going back to just snail mail, you know, who doesn't love opening the mailbox and there's a colored envelope inside of some kind. But, um, you know, our children, I know I grew up eagerly awaiting letters and cards in the mail. And I, I think we can bring that back and, and do that for our kids, for friends and family members. So just keeping your kids connected, I think, really helps support them emotionally. Um, and then just finally, it's kind of like what we talked about previously. It's really just monitoring your child. You know your child best. And if you start to see some significant changes in their behavior 
or emotional reactions to situations, just kind of pay attention to, you know, any mental health needs that they may have going on and reach out to a professional or someone that you trust, um, you know, to help get access to services within our communities that can help. So I think all of these things, you know, are, are amazing and, and, you know, very hands-on active things that we can do to support our, our children. Nobody's perfect, you know, and we too have to model what it means that, you know, if, you know, we maybe don't handle a situation in the best way, what it means to just kind of recognize that, how are we going to change that thinking and just being open and transparent. So um, it's not an easy task, but none of us are alone in this. And, um, you know, we're, we're all working through this together and, and we're going to heal and we're going to be okay, I think, <laughs> you know, but it's just going to take some time. Ah. Well, and I think the the three main things out of the list that you just did about all the ways we can help kids right now and by kids, children, right. and teenagers, educators, I mean, the three that stick out to me that they can do starting like right this second is modeling that behavior, being available, and then also monitoring. So this isn't just for parents. It's anyone that's dealing with kids and is around them daily. I think those are really, really good suggestions, good. Jennifer. So thank You're you. You're welcome. Sharing. You're welcome. Okay, we're going to move into the personal side now of your favorite things. Excellent. So what one favorite thing in education right now? Well, I in think general? it is just about all of the ma amazing networking and collaboration um, about supporting social, emotional learning and mental health. This is a newly created position that I'm in for the district this year. And I feel like a kid on Christmas morning. I really feel there um, are so many amazing people doing this work that I can learn from and that we can, you know, incorporate so many ideas and develop new things to better support students' social emotional needs. Um, and so I am very excited about the trend, you know, that we are seeing in education because I think that as we continue to heal as a society, this work is going to remain just as important, um, you know, in helping us in the years to come. So I'm just very excited to be um, in this position and feel so honored to be able to do this work um, with our amazing, you know, staff and students and families here in Klein. So that's what I'm excited about. Okay, so what's one favorite thing in life in general? Not really okay. So <laughs> I really thought about this and uh, many people may not know this about me, but um, we've had a lot of time at home together as a family. I have two daughters and my husband and my sweet dog. But um, over the past year, we have spent a lot of time um, watching the entire series of the Great British Baking Show. And we uh -huh. fell in love with it. Um, we, we've all, my husband and I've always enjoyed to cook. Um, my kids have really taken on cooking over the quarantine. So now that we have finished the Great British Baking Show, we like to pretend that we, of course, are professional novice bakers and we're having fun. Well, oh. we're trying to recreate some of these recipes, you know, and of course we've had some that have worked out and some that are complete flops. And so um, most of all, though, we're just enjoying laughing and having that time together in the kitchen just but just really creating those memories as a family and so a lot of inside jokes 
um, and just it's it's fun time doing something positive together. And so that's been kind of one of the you know um, fun memories over the past several months that you know I I thought of whenever I was looking and preparing for this today. So um, if you haven't watched it, check it out. I tried to get into it, and maybe I just like. I think it's like any other show. Like at yeah. first, you're like, "What is this? What is the hype? Big deal?" I think I just need to get back into it because you are like the one millionth person that I know that like loves this show. And as an avid baker, I need to get into it because like I've always been a baker. So yes, yes. okay. I was gonna say one other thing about it. <laughs> okay. is I think what we truly, truly liked is we got to know the characters as individuals and about who they were in their lives, what brought them to this point, and why they all shared the common love of baking. So for me, it was a lot of the humanistic side. I think my kids love the food side, but you know, <laughs> I think it has something to appeal to everybody. Huh. Who doesn't love baked goods in general and especially right? during a pandemic? Okay. So what is a favorite book? And I know this is hard for everybody, but like, just pick one for pick now. One for now. Okay. Well, I am going to go with, I struggled because I have a favorite for work and a favorite for just fun. Okay, fine. Okay. I'm going to give you so both. So my favorite. Never done this. <laughs> special edition. Okay, I promise I'll be brief about it <laughs> because I really couldn't pick just one. I'm an avid reader. So my favorite book for fun recently has been Where the Crawdads Sing. It's very much a popular book right now. Um, but what I loved about it, I love historical fiction, number one. Number two is I loved the story of resiliency um, that I feel the main character portrayed. And so I couldn't put it down. I think I read it in two days um, because I just had to see how she was going to overcome her situation. And um, if you haven't read it, I'm not going to spoil anything, um, but it's an amazing book. So along those same lines, though, for work, my favorite book this year that I have really been studying and working through is Permission to Feel by Mark Brackett. I cannot tell you how this book has shaped my way of thinking and just solidifying yeah. everything yeah. we've talked about today. If you haven't picked it up, I highly recommend it. Does, you don't have to be an educator to love and appreciate it. But um, he's the director for the Yale Center mm -hmm. uh, for Emotional Intelligence and is, um, you know, key player on the board for Castle, which is kind of the social emotional learning guru way of thinking, if you will. Um, but I just love in the book, he really talks about strategies and ways as, as, as human beings, kids, teenagers, young adults, adults, how we can work through allowing ourselves to feel, you know, I think so often, you know, we go through our day and people say, well, how are you feeling today? Or how's your day going? And what's our answer? It's always fine, good, great. But is it really? Like it, it's about being honest um, because think about it. If, if maybe you weren't having such a great day and somebody asked you that and you gave a two minute reason as to why not, I have a feeling the next time that person saw you in the hall, they may just kind of keep walking or go the different way. I think as a society, you know, we kind of have been conditioned to give some of those quick answers, 
but you know sometimes that can really have a detrimental effect in the long run and so it's just about opening up to yourself allowing yourself to feel feelings great feelings hard feelings um you know the ups and the downs that life brings us but then he gives you a way to process through it and to really um work through the process of identifying understanding expressing them and regulating them and then he um created something called um he applied his principles to the mood meter. And what I love about this for students is it enriches emotional vocabulary. You know, uh, super young kids talk about feeling happy, sad, mad, but he moves it beyond that. Um, you know, and even for us as adults, you know, beyond mad, are we furious? Are we enraged? If we're excited, are we exhilarated? Are we elated? Um, and it just puts it in such a user-friendly, easy model. Um, and of course, then he goes into talking about social emotional learning in schools and how this all fits in. So I could do a whole podcast, I think, on this book. Um, so that's why I picked it. Um, the timeliness of everything is just so meaningful to me. And so I'm not finished studying it yet. I've read it. I'm going to reread it again. And every time I look at it, I walk away with something different. So. I can't agree. It's one of my, I can't agree more. It's one of the books I'm reading. I'm in the middle of three because that's how I roll. But when I started reading it, I sent it to our superintendent. Like I'm, I was like, like, this is what every educator yeah. needs to read because he, I mean, the good news with him is he's not just some guy with a, like, like an opinion. Like he literally has used this systemic approach of ruler, which is what, what you just right. were talking about, how recognizing all the things. More than 2,000 schools in the U.S. use this ruler evidence-based yep. way of teaching emotional intelligence to kids. And like you said, I just, I, the mood meter itself is just so good. But even for adults, like this is su such a good way to label emotions better than just good, great, not great, sad, bad. Right. You know, like I, it was, I can't even believe he came up with it as he did. So um, I can't agree more. So all right, Jennifer. Well, it's just been a pleasure talking to you. This is such an important content like, right now. And for, and so thank you so much for taking the time to come on Climbversation. Oh, thank you for having me, Monica. I really enjoyed it today. And, um, you know, hopefully we can do this again in the future. Yep. All right. Well, have a good thank one. Thank you, Monica. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. What I joined about our conversation is how Jennifer is passionate about and educated on the many ways emotional health is so vital to child development. She offered specific ways to navigate mental health, which can serve to be a bit tricky at times as an educator. But as we mentioned, even small steps to commit to children and teens' mental health can go such a long way. There are so many resources out there, and I added a few to our show notes. Our next episode will be in the Onward series for our podcast, and we will talk about playing and creating, and it will be released on March 5th at 5.30 in the morning, Central Time, so save the date. Until next time, here's to taking our learning and transforming the world.